Before we get going, I'd like to say thank you to the people and companies that support this show. The first is Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, you should be doing it at Bull Bitcoin. It's a non-custodial exchange with a focus on privacy. When you make the order, you input your own self-custody receive address, which means as soon as the order is completed, it goes right to you. You don't assume any of the exchange risk. The guys at Bull Bitcoin are also behind BitcoinSupport.com. This is for those of you who need some help getting your self-custody arrangement set up properly in a manner that's both secure, but also easy to manage and engage with. They have a number of different packages available based on your needs. So check them out at BitcoinSupport.com and find the one that's right for you. Also, CoinKite, the makers of the famous cold card hardware wallet. The latest edition, the MK4, recently dropped. It has a USB-C connector, NFC tap functionality, dual secure elements, and lots of other great features that many of us have come to expect and love from ColdCard and CoinKite that help you to optimize your Bitcoin security setup. Visit coldcard.com to learn more about the MK4 and visit coinkite.com to learn more about all their other awesome products for helping you to secure and have fun with your Bitcoin. Let's do it. Boom, we're being live streamed. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, pretty good today. Um, so yeah, and obviously, I mean, I was asking you a little bit beforehand, you don't have to share any information that you don't want uh, public because of course we are being live streamed but um yeah continue if if you're okay with sharing it yeah totally fine cool so yeah we uh, I, I put out uh the call for a few plebcasts and i've been doing a lot of them lately and you hit me up and i think you're involved in winemaking is that right yeah so i own a winery that i started in 2019 and um yeah, I've been doing that for the last few years, but kind of just started last year in making sales. So this is coming up on my second year of like actually be being uh, consumer focused at this point. Right. So, and is that because like it takes that long for the grapes to grow or was there other factors? So, that um, my dad was making wine before me. Um, he did it as a business for a little bit, but he's pretty retired. So it was more of a hobby. And um, I was looking for a business to start so I kind of just moved home and took his hobby and moved it into a um, a business but so that being said he had the grapes and everything but you make the wine you got to wait two years before the wine is ready to to get sold I see so, yeah and you don't mind <clears throat> you don't mind me saying what state you're in right no you're fine yeah so so you're uh, in Colorado right yeah um, and, and that's like a, a, a grape growing region or do you get the grapes from somewhere else I grow grapes and there's um, a few other grape growing regions in um, Colorado. I'm in uh, Paonia, which is the West Elks AVA, which is the highest elevation grape growing region in North America. So it's a pretty unique and on the edge of like what you can do as far as grape growing spot in, in the world, I guess. I mean, I'm sure there are higher elevation places, but um, every year, like our harvest is like, oh, okay, cool. It's freezing next weekend. We got to pick. Um, so it's kind of right. right on the edge. What's the distinction? I know nothing about all this. I'll just preface all my <laughs> questions with this, but with that, um, what's the distinction between like, what's ice wine? Is, is ice wine like grapes that grow in super cold climates or something? Do you know what that is? Um, so I'm not like an expert on that, but ice wine to me, um, I would say that it is wine that you're going to let like be on the vine like as long as 
possible. And so it freezes, the grapes kind of start to shrivel. They lose moisture. And so that increases the sugar to water content. And then when you're making the wine, it only is going to ferment up to like what, 15, 16% alcohol. And then you have all that sugar left over. So you're going to get like a, a really heavily ripened, like really intense flavors with that natural sugar um, still in there. Gotcha. And so what kind of wines do you make or have you made up to this point? I make, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what wines I really want to continue making, but I grow Pinot Noir grapes. And so that's what I'm most proud of, what I specialize in. And what I grow is the only, where I am is the only place in Colorado you can grow Pinot Noir. So it's kind of a unique niche within a niche. I also make um, natural wines. So it's kind of like as low intervention, you have to farm really carefully, um, all that kind of thing. Um, what do you mean natural? Like so natural no is you ferment the wine with the yeast that lives naturally in your vineyard. So the natural microbiome that lives there that like, I have no idea what it is. I could get it tested, but like, it's kind of just putting it up to faith every year. You crush the grapes and then um, if you farmed well, and we have a history of it, so we know it's going to happen. But most yeast turns grapes into vinegar, so um, it's definitely a bit of a bit of faith every year. But it always works out, and it kind of creates a new, a unique flavor to the wine, just because there's so many different things going on in the the microbiome there. Right, and so in terms of flavor, like what type of flavor does wine in this area produce and like again i'll preface this by saying if you ask me what wine tastes like i'm gonna tell you it tastes grapey and so sure. i'm like i don't know all the nuances so, and stuff but i'm sure you do so tell, no, tell me John, so i started this winery like literally knowing nothing about wine i grew up my dad made it but like i was always in school and then when things were going on i had soccer practice like i wasn't involved at all um so i started making i started a wine business having never made wine before so i i totally know where you're coming from um so when you get have high elevation um grapes what you're getting is like these huge diurnal shifts where you have um really hot temperatures during the day really cold temperatures at night and what that tends to do is it brings out like a really vibrant acidity in the wines and when you're drinking an acidic wine your mouth waters a lot you really want like another sip and then it also brings out just like some awesome fruit flavors, really fruit forward. Um, so it's, it's like a really fun, vibrant, fruity wine. Right. And what's the name of the brand? My winery is called Peony Lane. Um, I've got an awesome street to live on and um, my town is named after peonies. So kind of just fit. Um, right. And how's it, how's it been going since you started selling? When did you start, say you started selling? Okay, a year ago? Last summer at uh, farmer's markets and I'm just getting farmer's markets going again this year. And I pretty much sold out of my first year and was surprised at the prices I was able to sell it. Um, like I was also giving people tastings. So they were totally informed customers. They weren't just buying it because it was, I mean, anyways, it was a huge relief because uh, I did, like I said, I started this business with no knowledge about wine, never having made it before. 
waited two years and you know a ton of money invested into it before I got any product market fit. And so having like a positive response was gigantic um, yeah. last summer. And then it's, it's um, starting to continue well this year. I mean, I'm getting better as a winemaker. And so were you uh, stressing, you know, having put two years of work in and not knowing if you're going to be able to sell the product? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, but like that being said, uh, I was really looking for something to, to commit to when I started it. So um, it felt, like I, oh my, I messed up a lot of wine. Um, I've messed up mistakes, but um, I learned really well through experience and just kind of believed, had, had the faith um, with my dad's success in making wine. And then, you know, people trying it along the way and having helped the, the winemaker community has been extremely supportive and just getting me going. So um, nice. yeah, kind of just had faith along the way, but it was definitely scary. Right. Uh, just FYI, occasionally we're having connection issues. So if I, if I get stuck for a moment or you do just, I, I don't know if it's your or my connection, but it seems to be happening. Um, so, I mean, is there a Bitcoin wine in the future here? I mean, I want, I, I want to get your kind yeah. of rabbit hole story and your, your views and how Bitcoin, um, you know, enters the picture with all this, but like, you know, there's going to have to be a Bitcoin product for everything for Bitcoiners eventually. Right. Like, I mean, that's just, yeah. we want to know that like a Bitcoiner is producing the shit that we consume so we can, you know, I don't know, have more fun with it or trust it more or whatever, but is that on the horizon? Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I, it just didn't fit. I was like really looking to, to get somewhere on my label, say buy Bitcoin, but I just couldn't really <laughs> find a good spot. Uh, Cause I just redesigned them, but uh, that's coming. I mean, the the issue with accepting bitcoin for my wine like i can do it you know at a farmer's market it's easy if someone just wants to message me and buy wine i've had some some bitcoiners on twitter want to buy wine from me th that way but um to ship wine to multiple states right you have a liquor license in each state and so you have to use a generally use a third-party service and as you're probably aware, most of these third-party services don't really allow or don't really have Bitcoin integration. So um, I kind of, I, I wish I was a little bit more Bitcoin connected with it, but it's, I mean, just because I, I spend so much of my life, my life basically revolves around this business and learning about Bitcoin. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I wish I could integrate it a little bit more, but it's, it's, it's tough just with uh, liquor regulations. So, so, but can you sell across state lines? Like even if it's not transacting in Bitcoin? Yeah. So I use a third party that technically I sell to them. They, they have a liquor license in every state. Right. Um, so that's so you, just like online. You can order my wine. Um, so you could still, you could still make a Bitcoin wine and brand it that way. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, you may not be able to accept Bitcoin in, in payment for it, but I mean, certainly, it, you could make a Bitcoin wine of some kind and appeal to this audience. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to make a blend this year that is a, a Bitcoin blend or something. What would a Bitcoin blend look like? I mean, what do you what are your initial thoughts of like what it should include or how it should be made so, or you know what kind of special shit should in, be involved? So I I just I really feel like the the natural wine aspect of what I'm doing really connects with Bitcoin. Um, in that 
you're kind of going back to all the roots, like coming at winemaking, I guess, kind of from first principles, like just, just where, where it started, where you just grow really well and you kind of let nature take its course and you get really good wine. And there's nothing like in between that I'm messing with. Um, I think when you start, just like when you start learning about the financial industry, you start learning about the industry and there's all the shenanigans that goes in, all these things that are added and just, you don't have to say anything. You can like, you can literally buy wine from someone else, bottle it. I mean, this is most of the wine sold at the supermarkets. It's just, it's a branding exercise. You know, they didn't make the wine or anything. So I think that, I mean, while I'll probably come up with some cool thing to, to make a Bitcoin wine, it's, it's more just like making good quality wine with like nothing to hide is, is the right. main thing. It's all, it's all out there. So, yeah. well, yeah. that sounds, that sounds very Bitcoin-esque in itself. So, um, all right. So, you know, what was your rabbit hole story and, you know, what are your musings on the domain that you currently spend most of your time in, which is wine production and, you know, all the, <clears throat> I think we were mentioned a little bit on in DMs, like, you know, how inflation plays a role and how, like, just give me the, give me the Bitcoin story for yourself. So I was, I'm, I've always been like a pretty math oriented person. And when I got out of college and started more focusing on like my personal finances, it kind of just like clicked, it was natural to focus on that, like build a spreadsheet, track all my expenses. Cause it's, I mean, to me, it was like, okay, you want to make money, just, you know, keep track of your stuff and, and make more money than you spend, just save. Um, and so I was doing that for a long time. And then I kind of, you know, started learning about investing. I read, um, rich dad, poor dad, which kind of helped me want to be an entrepreneur. And during that time, I also read, um, the only game in town by Muhammad El Arain about the central banks feds and stuff. So that kind of, that kind of got me on the path of learning about inflation, learning about macroeconomics, that kind of thing. But it wasn't until, um, three years later when I'd been, you know, trying to play like the get good interest from my, my savings account and, and um, and all that. And it just like started, the numbers stopped adding up, you know, I couldn't beat inflation with my savings account, which was all I was trying to do, invest in index funds, all that. And so March or like in early 2020, I kind of was in this transition point where I was moving from Denver back home, um, to build a house with my dad and like make wine for the second year before I started selling it. And I moved in with really great friend from high school who was a Bitcoiner. And so I had all these questions. Like, I mean, this is just what I love to talk about. I love to talk about macroeconomics, politics, like all this kind of thing. And so we just got talking and he kind of just kept pushing me to, to learn. And so as I was building this house that I'm in, um, I just put on a ton of podcasts about Bitcoin and, um, <laughs> kind of just built this house while listening to six hours of Bitcoin podcasts every day. And, um, sounds amazing. There were periods of times where like it clicked, you know, I, I mean, we all have this, like 
you're like, oh, that's what it is. And then you're like, wow, I need to put every, like, at least I did. I was like, I need to put every dollar I have in this because I understand it now. And then like a few months later, you're like, whoa, I had no idea. Like, this is a whole new thing. So it was kind of like, um, I don't know. The way I think about it is Bitcoiners talk about time preference a lot and how Bitcoin lowers your time preference. And that's definitely true for me. Um, however, it's kind of in the middle of a lot of time preference lowering, like a, a long period of time preference lowering for me. Um, I was really into, or I still am, but um, really into like getting better at skiing, um, soccer, all kinds of different sports. And I had all these, I started getting a ton of concussions and um, when you get a concussion, you, your body feels like totally right. You feel like you can do things, but you're just, your head isn't there and your head is the thing that tells you whether you're right. So like, it just really warps your, your world and you kind of have to slow down. Um, so that kind of started me moving in a longer time preference or a lower time preference. And then um, in starting the winery, that is like we were talking about earlier, that is like the ultimate low time preference business because you put in two years before you see any returns. I mean, that is like, I don't know, that was, that was kind of, and then that was happening as I was learning about Bitcoin. So it was just like this constant pushing my time preference out um, period of time that just, I don't know, I'm still in the middle of it, you know, but it's, that was kind of, I would say the, the biggest thing that, that Bitcoin kind of shined a light on is like understanding what was happening in that, in that period. I don't know if you read, um, and I'm not sure what the title of the piece was, but Rob Breedlove basically uses a winemaker to explain uh, how inflation causes, you know, a, a degradation in the quality of products and or a price increase or like some adjustment somewhere, which basically has to be made due to the expansion of the money supply. And usually it's like, you know, increase in price or, or the, the reason why it used inflation usually leads to lower quality products is because it's easier to kind of change the dial on quality rather than increase price because consumers are more sensitive to price increases rather than sensitive to noticing, you know, uh, changes in the quality or size of products, right? Like shrinkflation and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're actually a, a winemaker and we're experiencing extremely high inflation right now. And obviously it's understated in the CPI, but I mean, so what, what is it like in the real for a real world winemaker during a period of inflation? Uh, first, I really want to read that because I Robert Breedlove was definitely huge in my educational journey. But I honestly, it's a it, wine is kind of a funny product because people almost want to pay more for it. I mean, there's a level people have like what they want to do, but I'm a, a Veblen Veblen thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, a, a portion of that, it's a luxury product, you know, like um, luxury bag makers make their bags cost $500 because that people want, if you pay $500 for something, you're going to enjoy it more. Mm. So I've, I've raised all my prices this year. Um, and sold more. <laughs> and sold more. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, uh, it's kind of crazy. I've So the last... 2020 was kind of a bad year for great production. So my Pinot Noir that's super special to me 
I didn't get much of it. And then 2021, we, we didn't get any, um, there was a hard freeze in the fall, didn't get any grapes. So I have like a really minimal amount of the thing that's most special to me that I kind of always need to have, because if, you know, if you ask a winemaker, Oh, what do you grow? Like you say Pinot Noir and they're like, can I buy your Pinot Noir? And you say, I don't have any, that's kind of a weird spot to be. So basically right. I need to make this last for two years what would normally last less than one. So I have to check price on that because it's just supply and demand, right? And so I did this just this last week and I sold more of it. So I don't know, like, it's, it's cool. It's great feedback for me to understand, <laughs> but like, um, it's, it's, it's wild because that really should not be the case. Um, and it's so not the case for so many other industries it's it's kind of like when you're buying wine money almost like to a degree there's people that just won't spend money on it but if you value wine if you value nice wine a 50 dollars bottle of wine is nothing as well um mm -hmm. and if yeah. it is something it's just i'm buying or, oh i'm i'm buying a nicer product and, and i feel good about buying it because i'm really going to enjoy it because i spent more, more money on it yeah. Well, it's that, I don't, I don't know what that's called in economics, like price quality syndrome or something like that, you know, where, as you say, and I think this is in the realm of luxury goods mostly. And I think mm -hmm. Veblen goods is kind of the idea that the more expensive a good is like the, the higher the assumed quality or something like that. And therefore perhaps increased demand to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that, you know, someone sees a $12 bottle of wine, they're like, oh, that's gross. And they see like a $25 bottle of wine, like, oh, I bet that's good. And, you know, yeah. and more people buy it as a result. Totally. Um, also, just, I, th I think like, since I'm for a long time, now that I've gotten into this, I understand a lot more, but like, I for a long time was just like you, I could not talk about wine in, in any sort of way. I, I wasn't really motivated to buy nice wine. I didn't really appreciate it. Um, but the way I kind of have things worked out is I take winters off. And so I moved to, um, ski town, worked in a really nice restaurant last, last fall or last winter and was able to one, try a bunch of nice wines, which was really cool, but to kind of understand like the people I'm selling to are people that money doesn't really matter. Like on the order of a few hundred dollars is just nothing. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, put yourself in the right position, put yourself around the right people. And I mean, that's just, that's just being in the right, the right niche for your business, I guess. Yeah. But. You know, it's, I think it's also interesting that it seems to be the case that when you approach businesses and maybe even particularly in the realm of agriculture, although I suspect it extends beyond that, when you have like a more Bitcoin lens for lack of a better term, where perhaps you're one have a longer time preference. So you're not trying to just squeeze the fuck out of your resource, the land, the animal, the, the, uh, the plant, whatever to get as much yield as possible, but you're able to work more in kind of uh, in sync with nature as it were. And also for that same reason, your inputs are less, right? So because you're not trying to just extract so much yield, you're not using all the normal like inputs that allow you to maximize yield. You know, I spoke with someone who, you know, a lot of people are interested in like cattle ranching these days and untapped growth has been a pioneer in like bringing regenerative agriculture, at least to 
a big a bigger Bitcoin audience and like using, you know, selecting the cows and the land and all these things to make it so that you're more insulate. Well, first of all, you're not trying to maximize yield. You're trying to maximize, you know, the health and the resilience of the herd and the regeneration of the land, et cetera, and grow the herd over time. Uh, and put it in a situation where it can thrive on, you know, scrubland land that maybe wouldn't be suitable for more sensitive or less resilient animals, um, but also be less, be more insulated from this crazy inflation that we all know that we're going to be experiencing for a while because you are not relying on the various inputs, be they, you know, drugs and vaccines or fe certain feed or, you know, pesticides and all this kind of stuff that are typically used to just maximize yield on the land or the animal, none, you know, you, you may need none of that stuff. And I was speaking to another guy on one of these plebcasts a, a few weeks ago who, you know, started something small in Australia during COVID. And, you know, like, I think he has like what, maybe 15 heads of cattle or something like that and taking the regenerative sort of approach to things. And I asked him what it's been like, you know, over the last two years with inflation and how his inputs and costs have gone up. And basically he said what you said for a different reason. He said like, I'm able to charge more for my product now because the market prices for meat have gone up, mm -hmm. but my costs have basically stayed the same because I'm not reliant on any of the other materials whose costs have also gone up, you know? So the cost of my land hasn't gone up and the cost of cows eating the grass off the land hasn't gone up, but the market prices of the meat has gone up. So now I'm able to charge more because I don't rely on, on all of these different inputs uh, to try to maximize yield. And I think more and more people, especially in this space, are starting to like approach various enterprises or industries or, or, or businesses and be like, what is the low time preference in sync with the natural cycles of either the earth or human psychology or whatever the cycle that's relevant to that enterprise? What is the way to be more in sync with that? such that you're, you're, you're more resilient, you're less susceptible to the chaos. And then of course, any proceeds that you can derive from your work, you sink it right into Bitcoin. And that makes it that over time, of course, um, reduces the pressure to have to get even more yield out of it. Cause you're kind of like on a, a on a, a hamster wheel that's going faster and faster. And you need to go faster just to keep up with that proverbial melting ice cube. You know, you can yeah. lock it in and, 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 it permits you to have a longer and longer time preference. And I find it so interesting that that just that little change in perspective. And of course the tool that is, is Bitcoin is allowing people to approach, uh, you know, old industries or, or ways of doing business in, in new and more sustainable ways. Isn't that a pretty cool positive feedback loop there? Yeah. The people that figure it out. Um, yeah, for I, I think a couple of things you just made me think about are the similarities wine has with Bitcoin in that if I don't sell my wine, like I don't have to push and be like, I have to sell out, I have to sell my product because if I don't sell it, it becomes more valuable. Mm. And that's cool. That um, is cool. <laughs> but also um, like my my costs, the only costs that have gone up are, are hard goods like the bottles I use, the corks I use, the labels I use, um, shipping from California for bottles or from China for bottles is, uh, is quite a bit higher. And, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's an issue that, that cattle ranchers don't have. Um, and 
man, I, I really resonate with the just building for the low time preference. Let's build to survive. If we have that thing that we actually have a savings tool and we can just build slowly and not have to just crush everything because if we run out of money, we're screwed. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the, the stability of having your own land, the stability of just building slowly, the stability of having some Bitcoin to, to rely, rely on. That being said, I think Bitcoin, you kind of need, like, it's a great savings technology, but you kind of need those first, let's say four years to really feel secure in that. Um, like I'm totally into Bitcoin. That's all my, that's all my savings and everything, but like, I've put more money into Bitcoin than my stack is worth. Um, so two years in, and part of that's horrible timing of the market on my part, but um, it's it's a great savings technology for the long run, but you have to make that short-term work. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's if you can get past that first hurdle, that first bit of getting your land, your business started, whatever it is, and saving in Bitcoin, then you're going to be fine. But that first hurdle is is pretty tough, I feel like. Um, getting things going because everything that you're going to do does take a decent amount of initial investment. Um, but yeah. And I mean, you could, uh, uh, the approach that most people probably take, you know, people who aren't uh, entrepreneurially or as entrepreneurially inclined is just to, to work and save and stack. Right. As you were saying, like your prior, yeah. Right. Your prior mindset was just like you wanted to save your way to prosperity. And then you realize like, well, in this sort of environment, I can't do that in the traditional way. Bitcoin obviously brings that opportunity back in spades over a long enough time horizon. Like if you're living below your means and you're earning income and you're funneling the savings into Bitcoin, you know, you're pro- you may not feel that sense of like eternal security in two years. But in, you know, five plus years, you're probably going to start feeling like you're you're on a more stable footing and you're more, you know, the anxiety gets turned down and you're more able to engage in things that you find more meaningful. And then, you know, life starts to take on a different sort of feeling and look for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so with the regenerative agriculture stuff that you brought up, um, where I'm at is very much like an organic farming haven. People move here to, to farm. Um, the reason I'm here is because my dad's dream was to own a, a, sustainable, a farm that he could grow all his own food on. Um, so I lost he you there for a second. You said you, life, which is, oh, your dad's dream was to build a, sustain, a sustainable farm where he could grow all of his own food. Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, okay. And so he, this, I guess this is just kind of background from the perspective I got on what wealth and happy, like what wealth is, um, is my dad wanted that farm. So he built houses his whole life. Um, so he, his store value has always been real estate, um, and saving. And, um, so eventually moved here. My, I just built this house on my parents, my parents' property and, um, just like a quarter mile away from theirs and they grow all their own food. They have livestock, chickens, orchard, house, um, solar electricity spring on the hill collect rainwater like they're as off the grid as possible and um it's like for me i think what's hitting me most is like this is all awesome like this is to me the way to do it like total self-reliance take all the responsibility and be able to disconnect from all the the shit that goes down in the rest of the world just 
I mean, I talk to him about like all the, the stuff I read that's like, oh man, this like grain and like there's the top, two of the top five grain exporters in the world are not going to be exporting grain. Like I'm worried about a famine. These inflation rates are high. And he's like, cool. Like I got, I'm good. You know? <laughs> and I think that that's kind of just like, yeah, he's, he's 73, you know, he doesn't have to care about that. He made it. Whereas um, one, I'm just interested in it Two, the Bitcoin lens makes you care about that because it is a totally macro asset. Um, and it's going to be affected by that. And I don't know, I'm like, I'm like kind of jealous of, of not having to care about that. But at the same time, like when you have 50 to 70 more years to live, you have to care about all of this. And where, where that's going for me is I've, I've just, I'm spending so much time just trying to orange pill my friends, honestly, um, because of all the uncertainty that we see in the world. And I mean, on, it's just like, it, it's, I really want my friends to make it. And it's given that they're all, you know, 28, some of them maybe own houses, some of them doing better than others and everything, but it just kind of seems like without Bitcoin, you're going to have a really rough time over the next few years. Um, have you read the fourth turning? I actually haven't. No, I've, I've read Brandon's big uh, piece on it. And, you know, he kind of says at the beginning of that, like, this is not a substitute for the book, but, you know, I've tried to extract the relevant bits and, and like uh, combine them with like sort of Bitcoin thinking and other resources that people might be familiar with. So I, I, I kind of felt and perhaps wrongly that, well, it, it has, it's not at the top of my priority list yet, but sure. perhaps I will at some point. Um, so that just, I guess that makes me think like the way he talks about fourth turnings, which you're somewhat familiar with, um, yeah. things get like really bad. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Like we, he definitely says in the book, like things could change. Like this is just a, a view, a lens of history, but um, it, it, the way things are going, it's like, this is bad. Things are bad, but like, and we hope that, I think as Bitcoiners, we hope that Bitcoin can kind of stem the tide and like have an exit ramp of all this. But um, when people, when money is losing its value, I mean, the, that's, I think Bitcoiners realize that that's the baseline kind of value exchange for society. And when social fabric, yeah, totally. And so when that's going crazy, like bad things are oh, likely to happen. We don't know. But um, I just want my friends to make it. And like, I, I, I know I'm going to be fine, you know, but like, I want my friends to be on that, on that same page with me. And um, that's kind of, that's kind of my driving force right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're parked up on a Citadel and you're making wine and you're saving in Bitcoin. So things sound, I mean, if anyone's in a good position to ride things out, you know, it sounds like you're in a pretty, a pretty good spot. And of course, you know, we talk about this all the time and, you know, you've got all the, the very, you know, people could point to like, you know, six to 10 different, you know, multi-year, even multi-century cycles that seem to be coming to a crescendo or end yeah. <laughs> right now. And yeah. it's like, well, it's certainly all signs point to massive change and fairly disruptive change. And I mean, as you say, the beautiful thing is, is that 
you know, you know, I've been talking about this a little bit more recently, but, you know, and of course, like there is an overarching culture and it's impossible to be completely insulated from the socioeconomic machinations that happen there. But like Bitcoin really is that thing where, you know, I, I have been using the metaphor of just like stepping through a wormhole and you like you can you can opt out of the current system and opt into the Bitcoin system right now. You know, it's that that quote, like the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. I mean, take your take a, a hardcore Bitcoiner, right? Like myself and yourself and all the people that or many of the people that were at, in Miami and that kind of stuff. Like already you're feeling more secure and hopeful for the future. You're reorienting your life around things that are more meaningful and productive and like more in line with what you want to do and become. You're interacting with people that are more, you know, all those things as well. Like you are hopeful and enthusiastic and and humble and honest and you know freedom oriented and this kind of stuff and so like already you've you've begun to experience a life that is far more full with those things than like you don't have to wait for the whole world to make the change i mean it's available to you now and and of course the the awesome thing is is like the more you do that and the more people that do that you the more you accelerate the, the surface area of that thing that it becomes less and less a parallel system and hopefully at, at some point the dominant system but, you know, of course, we all can appreciate your sentiment that, you know, the people in your life that you love and you care for, like you want them to be uh, to the extent that we're right in that doing so saves you or at least ameliorates the, you know, the imposition of the coming transition or, or, or whatever is coming. You want others in your life to be able to avail of that so that it's not as difficult for them. But, you know, you can bring a horse to water, hot water, but you can't make him drink, as the saying goes. And Entirely. yeah, I think, you know, I've been attempting to orange people, orange pill people in my life for a long time. And I've just come to the conclusion that, you know, I, I mean, even as kind of delicate as I might try to be sometimes. Persuasion doesn't seem to be uh, that effective. You know, what seems to be effective is just living the best life that you can and and letting you know your happiness and your relationships and your contentness and your your success and all that kind of stuff just be evident and then you know people in your life will probably be you know because everyone's doing their best to try to figure out how to be, how to have the best life possible and i think they'll we all look around in our environment and people we know and celebrities and whomever like online and stuff and we try to say like oh they're doing i i I envy or admire them to some degree. What are they doing that I could do that would bring some of that into my life? And, you know, of course, for many of us, if we do that, and then we often espouse that Bitcoin has been instrumental in many aspects of that, for lack of a better term, thriving, then I think that will, that's the, the best sales pitch rather than the direct one. But maybe you have a different experience. No, you know, no. Uh, you mentioned. I, I think that that really hits for me, um, in the, the sense of like, once you stop, like throwing it out and it's almost like when you throw it out, you kind of need validation or you're asking for validation in that. It's like, once you stop doing that, once you're just confident in your own, your own self, then, um, that's, that's when people start paying attention. That's when people start taking you seriously. It's, um, it's counterintuitive in that, that approach. Um, the one thing though is, um, and I, I don't think that this is totally what you were saying, but I interact with a lot of Bitcoiners that are just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just done. I've given up orange pilling. Like people, you know, have fun staying poor or um, mm -mm. less extreme than that. Just like, I don't have the, the energy and I'm not going to 
it doesn't work. So I'm not going to dedicate the time. Um, and to me, that's, that's a bit frustrating because so many people just are not exposed to this. Um, I mean, I was like diving, like doing personal research into personal finance and like learning and reading books all the time for a few years. And it wasn't till the second time I lived with a Bitcoiner that he actually took the time to like say, hey, you should learn about this. Um, inflation is not the 2% that you think it is on CPI, like dig deeper, learn. Um, and I kind of, I, I don't know, personally, I needed that push. I needed to be told like, hey, this is real, learn about it um, from someone I respected. And because it, people just don't know that, like you don't think about money. Um, when I was learn, trying to learn how to invest, I read a, a book by Peter Lynch and he said, this just always makes me think of like, what we don't notice is what's so important where he says like, it, when you're going into a recession specifically, like buy waste management because they're the thing that's gonna exist that no one thinks about, but we'll always have the trash collector coming out. And money is so that baseline thing that no one thinks about, but is so important. And also is scary because it doesn't work for them because the system is broken in a way that people, they either like, when you think of, when people think of money, they're like, oh, system's unfair. People are too rich. Money is the root of all evil. And so that stops them or saying, oh, money is broken. I've had so many people be like, oh, I think we should just go back to the barter system. And I tell them like, <laughs> so you don't want this like global economy. You don't want to be able to buy cheap goods from, from across the world. Like money is the human technology that has allowed all this. And they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And us Bitcoiners, I kind of think like take that for granted how important the money is. And it's just it's nowhere else because these, the current system is incentivized to not educate us on this fact, not, not help us understand what money is, what goes into creating it. Um, and I mean, I don't know, like I, I spent, it took me probably a year to fully be able to be like, I can explain Bitcoin to someone confidently. I have all the, I can answer every question you're gonna ask probably. Um, mm -hmm. And that's like, like I said, six, eight hours of podcasts a day, like diving into this. And so when, when people give up on their friends after, oh man, I went on a rant to them and they didn't get it. Like I'm done orange pilling. Like that just kind of frustrates me because it personally, it took me so long and I was very motivated to learn about it. Whereas these people or most people just, you know, they're not math oriented. They're not, don't care about money they just want to save and have a good life yeah i i hear what you're saying but i i think it's i don't think it could be any other way i love you know everyone gets bitcoin at the price they deserve i mean yeah. i think that's just deeply true right so like you as you just said you were motivated and curious to learn you wanted to figure it out and once you got a scent for like how things were off and you wanted to like you went even further and further and further and as a result you end up entering this parallel system earlier than someone with less curiosity and less of a sense that things are wrong and less of a sense that they want to right those wrongs. And what it ends up doing is self-selecting for those people that are 
curious and that have more explicit or are more like uh, determined to ad adhere to systems that are in line with their, their most fundamentally held values and principles like truth and freedom and fairness. And as a result of that, they seek it out more than others who are less dedicated to adhering to systems that espouse certain values. And so it just self-selects for all those people and good, right? Because that means yeah. that, you know, in, in the future, we're probably the people that are most well capitalized are the ones that uh, we're, you know, we're self-selected in that way. And it seems to be that the self-selection process around Bitcoin, because of the very values and principles inherent in it, are people that are being selected for truth and freedom and fairness and curiosity and individual, you know, liberty and sovereignty and, you know, hope for the future and enthusiasm and honesty like this, that seems to be what's being self-selected for and good, you know, because it seems the, the current system certainly incentivizes in many cases, the opposites of those things. And, and it's created a culture where as a result of those incentives, those opposite behaviors are amplified and they, 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 they're everywhere, right? They're, they're more abundant than they ought to be, or they would be in a, in a different system with different incentives. And hopefully that's the one that Bitcoin is, is propagating. And, you know, so I hear what you're saying, like, you know, don't give up on, on the people you care about too soon because it's, you know, there's, there's a lot on the line here, but on the other hand, there is an element of like the, the people who are most deserving of seeing it, will be the ones to see it at the appropriate time. And there's something deeply like just or, or right yeah. about that. And some, oh, I love that. I love that as well. Um, I think it's, it's partially like, you know, you trust your own judgment to see, like Bitcoin is self-selecting for people that are open to it for sure. Um, and, but personally, like you trust your own judgment to judge, who is a good person or not. And when you meet a good person, you don't want them to be totally wrecked by right, right. the system they're living in. So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. And um, I don't know. I just, I just find it, it really, it's, I don't know, giving up on and like not putting the effort into the people you love when you find a, I mean, almost a, a truth this important is just, it's it's in the extent that people give up on talking to it, their loved ones about it. It just makes me, it makes me a little sad, but also like I've also had millions of conversations with people and and I'm I'm the Bitcoin dude of, of a lot of my friends. And it's like, right. shut up, man. Like we just want to have fun, you know? <laughs> well, that's it, right? I mean, again, like you can say things until you're blue in the face, but it doesn't mean that they're, you're going to say anything that, that gets through to these people. But I, like I said, I think it may be the case that the, the ult, ultimately the more justified or beneficial use of time is actually refining yourself using this tool that you're so enthusiastic about to maximize what you think is good and right in yourself and in the world, contribute to and interact with all the other people that are seeing it simultaneously. And simply by, by virtue of that, and how that contributes value to the very thing that you're trying to persuade others to be interested in, that may ultimately be yeah. the best way to turn it into the thing or, or increase the surface area so that it will appeal to those people who currently you're not able to break through to. But again, like what I always think about is like the more 
the surface area of this thing expands, the more people are brought in, like, let, let's say at first, and this is far too narrow, but generally speaking, like early adopters were cypherpunks and libertarians, right? Like hard, hardcores in that domain. But now, I mean, you look around, you've got artists, you've got winemakers, you've got, you know, uh, people in, in many different walks of life that have found kind of the through line that makes Bitcoin relevant to them. And they use their own language to articulate why it's valuable and why it's useful and why it's interesting. And so like the more it brings in, the more language and like thematic approaches appeal to a, a broader audience, you know? And so like, I may never in the, in the way that I speak about it, appeal to like, I don't know, fill in the blank, like someone who's into theater and, you know, um, veganism or something like that. But there's, there's probably going to be someone who's like into those interests that, that sees the value of Bitcoin and is able to like trans, like, uh, translate it into a language and into a system of, of communication or value that resonates with, with those people. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, if we're really, and this is the kind of like mind blowing aspect of, of what we're dealing with here. Like, are we dealing with something that is representative of the highest, like truly the highest values that, you know, human consciousness can conceive of. And I would put freedom and truth like way up at the top there. And if that is indeed the case, then it's almost like it's always going to be able to find application nearly to everyone in every different walk of life. Now, it may have to, we live in a world today where people's value systems are, you know, perhaps are not properly oriented. Um, now, and I'm, I, there's definitely a judgment in my use of the word properly, but perhaps there's like a lot of discombobulation in how people construe value and then how they orient their lives. And it seems to be the case that Bitcoin is, is, providing a tool that allows people to assess with greater clarity what values they should be oriented around and what values actually deliver a better life for themselves and for their community and for the culture and society at large. And so it's, it seems to be having this effect of reframing value and then allowing people to more clearly see it, engage in it, amplify it, integrate it, embody it in, in these ways. And I mean, that's an incredibly unique and transformative sort of thing that's happening. But the punchline is, I think because of that, it will inevitably like innervate its tentacles into everyone. Everyone will ultimately be able to see the value in some capacity, but it may not be in the capacity of you or I to explicitly articulate that to someone who that hasn't happened to yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Everyone needs to hear what they need to hear. And you or me, is we're not going to be the right voice for everyone. Um, but something you said there, I, I really resonate with as well, is um, when you have that mooring, that, that solid thing that you just know this is truth or this is just not going to change then you can like stand on that almost and then perceive the rest of the world without the ground running out from under you. And so I find so many of the problems that we have that we see in our society today as just like, well, the ground keeps getting take out, taken out from everyone there. And much of that has to do with realize that, like we said, money is kind of the baseline of everything. And 
if you have no solid ground, if you can't feel secure, so much other things, so many other things are going to go wrong. I mean, like I, it's, I don't know, so much of the, like the, the politics today is, is at least on the left where I, where I came from, um, is like looking for, they want like power to the people, but they're looking for like a top-down approach to that. They want the government to give it to them. Um, and what I find so alluring in Bitcoin is that it's just, no, just, just take the power for yourself. Like this is all you have to do is honestly like buy Bitcoin and live your life and you'll have power because no one can do anything about it. No one can take that from you. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and, and it's such, it's so ironic, right? Because as you said, it's like power to the people, but have the power structure, give it to the people. And therefore yeah. it's not actually power to the people at all. And what they espouse is that, you know, part of the benefits of that ideology of being like communitarian collective, like everyone go along, like, like everyone harmoniously gets along as a result of this, actually the opposite seems to be the case where it creates not, you know, divisiveness more so than any other ideology. Whereas if you focus on the sovereignty of the individual, what you, you know, maybe it's counterintuitive and you think, oh, that would generate far more divisiveness and that would, you know, create far uh, fewer and, and less strong social bonds between people. But I think what this Bitcoin phenomenon at least is showing people is that when you give people the means to be maximally sovereign unto themselves and maximally truthful to themselves and honest with others, when those people have the opportunity to get together on that basis, you have the, some of the strongest bonds that I've ever experienced in my life. And I think it's because, because you're share, even though, you know, you go to a Bitcoin conference and hang out with Bitcoiners and everyone's a weirdo basically. And so everyone's like different, very different from each other, but they've all like converged on the shelling point of certain values. And as a result of, of being oriented by these like fundamental principles or values like truth and freedom, the rest of it, it can be as different as you want it to be, because those that's the glue that that holds people together, that permits a mutual respect, that permits a mutual humility, that permits a, a mutual empathy that allows for strong bonds of friendship and other forms of organization and relationships to be fostered and to exist and to be extremely strong, despite the extremely divergent differences and preferences that, you know, one individual might have from individuals you might have from one individual to the next. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like you realize that when you're surrounded by Bitcoiners, because just because that's kind of the, the little window into that future society we have, is mm -hmm. that you realize that all these people are armed with like a fundamental truth and the means to, to, to get what they want to happen. So I'm going to let my dog in. Sure. So that makes me think of um, the the saying a, a armed polite armed society is a polite society mm. where the the cost to doing harm to someone gets raised. There are real consequences because if everyone has guns, you know you don't want to start a little thing that could turn into a, a, a shoot because the consequences are so deadly. And um, when everyone has like when there's real consequences to actions people make, and this is probably on a much higher level than than uh, than person to person, but it does seep down through society. Like when you see people cheating in the world, and they're just fine, 
that makes you feel that it's okay to just just cheat and then I'll get um, I'll get everything back and there's not an issue and so I don't know to, to have real morals as a society I feel like you need some serious you need consequences and you can't have consequences when when everything's just made up with with money printing I mean um, I also think it's yeah. it's the case that you know, and necessarily in society and culture, there are norms that emerge that facilitate interaction, right? So that you kind of, the, the rough edges of each individual are somewhat softened so that interaction can take place. And those edges aren't, don't create too much friction to foster conflict or disallow voluntary interaction. But I think it's also the case that, you know, because of what Bitcoin represents, because of the freedom and the liberation that it provides people, it it changes that dynamic a little bit by, because to, to what extent do people operating in the former either consciously or subconsciously hold other people in check through those social norms and mechanisms and like even punish them. And I think we see this broadly speaking in political you know, discourse today, especially on the left where it's like you use those supposed norms to keep people in check if you don't like what they're saying or if you don't like what they're doing. And so you attempt to, to punish or, or keep them within certain bounds with that. But if individuals are not vulnerable by being dependent on a certain employer for their job or, in, or a certain you know, platform for their speech, or like if, if, if they're not so dependent on the different structures within that society and, and their income being you know, and their savings being the primary one, if they can't be shut off so easily to take it to an extreme, then they're less vulnerable. They're less susceptible to others, other people trying to manipulate them in that way or tr trying to use those social norms or the system, broadly speaking, to manipulate them. And again, I think, um, I, this, I think we see this very clearly in the emerging you know, Bitcoin culture. It's that people begin to realize like, oh, if I have my money in a way that can't be inflated away, can't be stolen from me, can't be confiscated. And then over time, my wealth grows to the point where I'm less you know, reliant on insurance or medical systems or anything handed out from an employer or the state, like I'm less and less reliant on that for my safety and my security. Well, you're not going to tell me as much what to do. I'm going to say, I'm going to communicate in the way I want to communicate. I'm going to say what I want to say or what I think is, is true. And I'm not going to be held in place by your uh, expectations or your, the pressures that you might attempt to put on me. And this means that yeah, there's a, a lot more speech and you may be offended by it and it may not be your cup of tea and have fun staying poor might not, you might think that's a little bit too toxic or something, but this is what happens when, when people experience a greater degree of freedom than, than has ever been available, you know, to human beings, at least in a, in such a complex interpersonal society, like the, like what we have in the modern world. And so we're, we're all just figuring out now, like what to do and who to become when this degree of freedom becomes available to people. And so, and, and a lot of people aren't going to like that because they've become accustomed to a system where you're able to be kept in check. If, if you say things that offend the sensibilities of certain people and they want to be able to call someone to, to keep you in check, you know, call the school board, call the mayor, call the government, call the bank, call your, you know, your other family members. Like they want, there's 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 this like underlying desire to control others that permeates much of society today and 
when a group of people or when individuals are increasingly given access to freedom, then to those people, they can say, fuck you, not me, you know, and that's, that's why Bitcoin is fuck you money. And, and it's, um, it's wonderful. And I, I, it's such a, I'm so grateful for being able to be a part of, and part of the initial cohort of people that are trying to figure out like what freedom really means and how we should be treating it but it's going to, it's going to offend a lot of people. And again, they'll, they'll get it at, at the price they deserve. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, um, I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs a lot when I think about, um, just people living their lives. And I find that like within the, the, the current system, it's just kind of hard to feel secure. And there are a lot of people that do, but when you're in that that baseline of trying to build those like low ends of Maslow's hierarchy, the the shelter, the security, the food, all that stuff, then you're just never able to reach that that high level of being able to pursue your passions, to be happy, to just self-actualize. Yeah, and yeah, yeah to self-actualize. And when I think about Bitcoin, I think about it, like I said, creating that that mooring point, creating that security, that baseline to build off of. And God, what is it gonna be like? How awesome is the world gonna be when everyone has so much more opportunity to self-actualize? I mean, that's that's like when you talk about uh, capitalism generally, you, you talk about like specialization and people doing what they're best at, but no one has that ability now. I mean, so many people go into debt for, for school or whatever, they get sucked into their job. They can't quit. They can't take risks. But when you have that savings technology, you work for a little bit. Maybe you save, you know, everything gets cheaper because there's no money printing and we just get better at making things. And, and then you have that nest egg. Everyone has that nest egg if they work for it, that you can go do what you feel like you're meant to do. And if everyone is doing the thing that they're best at or has the opportunity, at least if they want to be able to pursue that, like that's what, that gets me so excited. What, what is this world going to look like um, once this transition is made? Um, yeah, man, but- I, I, I could not agree more. It makes me super excited. And, you know, I think broadly speaking, the answer is a much more beautiful world where, you know, people are able to, you know, express whatever those aspects of themselves that they think are highest or most genuine or most unique and they come out into the world and then you combine that with a dramatically lowered time preference such that you know whatever the undertaking is people will more and more feel like the time necessary to devote to making it happen is worthwhile like i i think you know and we can look back at certain periods in history under different monetary standards and we can look at maybe the frequency or the scale or the grandeur of great works. And I do think it's, it's a pretty safe bet that when we're on a global Bitcoin standard, and maybe this means we have to be well into it, you know, by a few decades or even centuries, you know, for this to really take hold. But I think people will realize that like they can, they have the, the solid foundation that they can do it. And they realize that they can undertake a 10, 20, 30 year enterprise, sustain themselves through it. And, and, only receive the reward at the end, but have that reward more than make up for the work that went into it. And just 
just having the ability to make that choice, just having that be a choice that's available is in- incredible because how many, how many things, whether it be on a personal or an economic market level, uh, require time to produce. Like, you know, you might make the argument that like time is often like such an additive input. Like a lot of, a lot of the best things in life take time to develop and to work on and to produce and that kind of stuff. And the fact that that scale of time is going to be so available to so many more people, should they wish to avail of it for whatever their undertaking is, is very, you know, very exciting. John, when you think about time frame for whatever you want to call hyper Bitcoinization, um, what kind of scales do you think on? Do you think like, um, I guess, I guess the, the, the frame I'm coming from asking this question is um, very forth turning um, in the baseline. So um, you've got a little bit of history in that um, to bring it up again. But the, the, the hope that Bitcoin gives me is that I see this, this forth turning happening, this, this massive global reset almost, I mean, into a new like massive calamity, whatever it is, but into the ending result is like a new set of institutions, a new set of laws, a new set of, a new way the world works. Um, mm. And so I, I kind of view that as like a Bitcoin, hyper Bitcoinization as the beginning of the, the first turning, like once after all this, this happens. And I don't know how long, I mean, even when I'm thinking about that, like I don't know how long to really think about it outside of the way he, the, the book frames, 20 ish year time periods. Um, but when you think about hyper Bitcoinization, kind of what time frame do you think about? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I usually skew toward like things happening faster. Um, especially, I mean, it seems to be the case that things are accelerating and I don't, maybe that's just because of the, exponential effects of technology and more happens in lesser time and it delivers that sort of feeling and maybe that's not even just a feeling i mean if more is happening you can make a case that time is accelerating in a certain sense but um it's i don't know like i kind of i kind of think all this is going to be like we're going to be through the hard part and well into the good stuff like 20 years from now Mm-hmm. And may, maybe maybe that's optimistic. And I know a lot of people think it's going to take a lot longer. But one, I struggle to see how the existing set of systems can persist for that much longer, which means like, one, the kind of transitionary period is going to have to happen relatively soon, and that the solution is going to have to be adopted as a result of that relatively soon. Mm-hmm. And so, but you know, in 2008, when everything was melting, then I kind of thought that was like going to be the big show and, and big changes were going to happen then. But here we are almost 15 years later, having kicked the can down the road. And like, I look at the circumstance now and I am like, I really don't see how this gets propped up for another decade. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's hard to have fuck, a system man. fail when you don't have an alternative for people to sure. jump to. And once you Absolutely. have an alternative and you see I mean, just the, this, like you said, just do your own thing. And like the, the, the good that you build on in a Bitcoin standard on your own will, will be self-evident. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like Bitcoin is both 
there to catch people and to accelerate the decline because as more and more people jump off ship, then it just becomes so much more. I mean, you just lose totally, so much. Power totally. the yeah. I mean, I mean, and this is where like the, the saying Bitcoin isn't the bubble, it's the pin. It's that kind of an idea, right? That it definitely accelerates by virtue of the fact that there's a better option that it accelerates people taking that option and, and leaving and not and being locked into the propping up the former system. And I, you know, I totally believe that's true. I mean, part of me is just like, I just hope we don't press the big red buttons globally. Like, I, f- I feel like with this whole Ukraine and Russia stuff, like we're way too close to that risk right now. And very few people seem to be all that concerned with just how precarious it might be. And, you know, there's just, there's too many incentives. I don't know, like there's so much chaos and everything seems like a powder keg and everyone's looking for a way out of taking blame for the situation that we find ourselves in with the current system and stuff like that. And I mean, who knows what happens behind the scenes, but we can be sure of one thing and that's whoever is responsible for you know, the system, broadly speaking, that prevails in the world today is not going to be willing to identify themselves and take responsibility for how it, how, how it's been functioning and and potentially how it kind of comes to an end. And so there'll be all sorts of scapegoats and misdirection and confusion. And I just hope that, I mean, we all hope for as smooth a transition as possible, but, and so one, I hope we don't press the big red buttons and two, like, when we say, when is this going to be done? Like in 20 years, there's always going to be some people left behind, right? Because they, I don't know, they just, they don't have the capacity to make the choices perhaps that we're talking about. Um, And also in 20 years time, even if like all fiat currencies are dead and the world is on a Bitcoin standard, it's going to be tons of problems still. Right. And we're, we're always going to be aspiring to improve and, and, and move toward a better place than we currently are in. And so, um, you know, who knows what the problems we'll be lamenting about in 20 and 50 and a hundred years will be, and who knows what the, uh, you know, the bright orange future or the, the, the hope on the horizon, who knows what characteristics that will take, like what will we be striving for after hyper Bitcoinization? Cause right now it's like, yes, get the world on a Bitcoin standard and let's get back to sound money and let's, let's enjoy the peace and the prosperity and the innovation and whatever we think is going to come from that. But once most of that has been done, well, what, what is the next frontier? Like what, what is the next thing we aspire towards? And, and I think, I mean, that's a super interesting question because I, I think our, our even notion of what our future, both as individuals and as a collective humanity, what it should be and what it's likely to be is so much influenced by the current paradigm of the system that we've, we've come up in. And so, you know, a lot of people probably think the future, if we're able to maintain progress, just means, you know, shiny uh, outposts on planets in our solar system and like more space stuff, basically. And I think it could very well be the case that once we're on a sound money standard and once the excesses of the system are removed and what's production, you know, uh, um, unnecessary production is no longer occurring. And once the values and the ideologies of the people that produce the money and as a result, direct the value signals in the market 
no longer hold sway and we're able to people are able to express with full fidelity what their values truly are and the market and the culture becomes a reflection and representation of that over time i think it's very well it could very well be the case that our notion of what we should be striving for and our notion of progress might be different and it might not be like increased space stations and outposts on far off planets as a, as a metric or as a primary metric or ambition of progress or, or human flourishing. It may be something very different. It may be something like people living in more natural environments, more self-sufficient, you know, with healthier, stronger bodies and better relationships and a closer connection to God and all these things. Like maybe that is the thing that is going to be the massive undertaking of humanity, you know, once we're able to signal our values more clearly, who knows? But I think that the, one thing that can't that we can be reasonably assured of is many of our conceptions of the future and our perception of the present is predicated on the signals that we're receiving in the here and now and those signals have been impaired for a long time and so once those signals become rectified how are we going to assess our current situation and how how is that going to influence what we desire for the future totally and whenever i'm talking discussing politics discussing like anyway like what how should the world work? Um, I'm just so cognizant of like, let's just fix the money and that's going to change everything. And then let's kind of figure stuff out from there. But mm. trying to, yeah, trying to put our current, our, our current way of thinking into an entirely new system is just doesn't, it doesn't compute well enough for us to really have anything figured out beforehand. And like, as you get closer to that, things will become more clear. And um, something Jeff Booth talks about a lot is um, how our current system is driven by the need for infinite growth, but we're stuck on this finite world. And I'm kind of thinking like, I think that infinite growth thing might be somewhat human nature. It might be like, we have never come up on the limits of our growth potential. And, and so our bodies, are, are, our natural instinct is to grow infinitely. We're builders. Um, we, we take what we have and we change the whole system. Um, we change the whole environment we're in to, to fit what we want. And so I almost think that like once, like as you said, we've kind of hit the boundary of the earth we can go further we can have more people sure but like as far as the infinite growth that our species has always been searching for has always been building has just been expanding and taking over the entire world it almost seems to me like the natural tendency as we've started doing is to expand into the emptiness which i mean at this point is space um and the problem is with that is the <laughs> the threshold is so high. So it's, you kind of have to hit this point where you're, you're stuck from growing exponentially. And then maybe once you figure out how to get a colony on Mars, how to spread that way, that's when you can continue growing again. But like humans are kind of stuck right now where we're no longer able to expand exponentially. We're stuck and this is, I mean, on a long time scale, at least it seems like this has never happened in, in the history of humans. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a 
an interesting conversation, I think. Like I, I I've never been too concerned with the whole like, you know, people would decry capitalism because it's predicated on infinite growth. We live on a finite planet planet. I mean, one again, this goes back to like, well, what do you mean by growth? Like we can totally. continue, we can continue to improve our lot. We can continue to feel like we're developing and refining ourselves as, as individuals and as a society without necessarily uh, consuming more resources than we have available to us. But even if you don't really line up with that argument, I think we live in a, for all intents and purposes, infinite universe. And I think, you know, uh, our ingenuity will always find ways of extracting that to expand our borders, or you might say, um, continuously improve upon our methods and degree to which we turn entropy into order. Mm-hmm. And um, so like, I'm, I hear what you're saying. And like, we've, we've discovered all of the earth. So, you know, space is the next frontier, as they say, and it'll be interesting to see how we engage with that. But, and, and also like who, how much more, I mean, maybe under a sound money standard where there's far less overproduction, far less waste, we're better stewards of the planet, all that kind of stuff. Maybe the earth could sustain a hundred billion people, totally. you know, like all these models that everyone's, you know, environmentalists or whomever has, have done now have obviously been so many assumptions have been baked in. And those assumptions that we've been discussing are probably going to change, you know, and most fundamentally among them are the ways in which we, identify, discover, and communicate value. And when that can be done in, in such a more pristine or high fidelity manner, then perhaps we, we end up minimizing greatly the, the degree to which our, our efforts there are wasteful, and we maximize the degree to which they're generative or productive or accretive and sustainable. And I, you know, I do think that is probably going to be the case. So for me, it's much at, less at about minimum, like um, at minimum we're kind of forced into that because we, like I said, we have no growth potential um, into the the frontier at this point. You mean into into space? I mean, we yeah, we can grow there, but like we don't, you know, it's just the beginning. It's just the seed. Like we have to grow Earth. We have to get better at right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. And I'm like, I'm not even a big on the space bandwagon. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yo, the Earth is fucking unbelievably amazing like we just live on a heaven planet i'm not looking to go out into the void of cold dark space anytime soon like if that's your thing and you're interested all you know more power to you and i and i love the documentaries and the imagery and it's exciting and i'm i'm all down with it but unless you find like another heaven planet i'm not super stoked about moving to any of those places anytime soon but no, I, I, I agree. I think there's much more potential for humanity on the earth than, you know, either the environmental catastrophists or the anti-capitalists or whomever is currently projecting. And for me, it's just, I, I think people are probably discounting even because even that notion of like growth, right? As we've been saying, like in our minds, if you just say growth, what we think it means is more technology, more expansion, more resource um consumption and more like cool shit basically more more capacity to extend ourselves and i think when we change this like the base layer of value communication and discovery it may very well be the case that our whole notion of value gets upgraded or changed along with that Mm -hmm. and again if i look to the the initial cohort 
that is being influenced by this thing, which is broadly speaking, the Bitcoin quote unquote community, it, there does seem to be a reframing of value taking place. And these people do seem to be um, placing more emphasis or value on what might be called like transcendental or sort of values like non-monetary or non-physical uh, sort of things like friendship and freedom and truth and honesty and integrity and these sorts of things and less emphasis on like various forms of material or interpersonal value like inter like market-based uh goods now maybe that's just a perversion of the s-curve of bitcoin and once the the opportunity cost has diminished then maybe people will become more materially oriented again i don't know but it, it just it's obviously having an effect on how we identify and construe value and maybe when that takes hold on mass, it means that our whole notion of what we should be striving for changes and all of our predictions about what the future is going to look like will change along with it. Totally. I mean, you got to think that, that so many people are going to change once they have that foundation to be able to build their life off of, um, to value interpersonal relationships. You kind of have to be able to value yourself and not be mm -hmm. worrying about your own safety. So, it, it that and just like the the not just like the the trust and like the ability and the desire to reach out to more people but like then you go back like zoom out and you're just like oh well also bitcoin is a, a global monetary system that anyone can use and like it like not the asset we're talking about the the sit the the system here it's like i feel like people are just about to be able to be so much more connected than they are right now. And we're seeing currently like the extent, how far can we go into disconnection, dividing people. And like you said, I think we still have further to go looking at the way Russia and Ukraine is going. It's, I mean, that's just one of many, many wars, many horrible things going on in the world. That's just where, most many people have their attention right now but it's it seems to me like things can get much more divided but then we have that baseline that that continuous never stopping growth of bitcoin that is bringing people together underneath it so it's almost like it's growing underneath and there's like a growing bubble of disconnect and then hopefully that bitcoin can pop that disconnect and just have everyone showered on onto the bitcoin but it doesn't seem like both the world is not ready and i'd be interested to hear your perspective on this um it doesn't seem to me like bitcoin is ready for the world and i don't mean that like bitcoin can't like the the system can't handle the global the world but like the, the infrastructure is not built yet and so as much as we want the world to adopt bitcoin it doesn't seem like it can yeah i mean i don't really know how to assess like when or what the infrastructure would look like that we would step back and be like it's ready for the world now like i i, I think I this is ever will <laughs> right i mean this is yeah. the market discovery process like it right. will be read it's I mean, you could make the case, I guess, that like 
it's ready for precisely the number of people that are using it right now. Totally. And when it, when 2 billion people use it, you'll be able to say it's ready for exactly 2 billion people to use it because what better metric is there than, Hey, this is how many people are using it. And whether it's a matter of education or network capacity or usability or any of that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I, I think we have to defer to how many people are using it as the best metric of, uh, how many people you know can or should be using it sort of thing and it's kind of a cop-out response but again I, I don't know how to really formulate a better one um but yeah I, I i agree with what you're saying and 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 this is a process right i mean we always have to remember and we we both you and i in this discussion have recognized this but it's like it's not like we're just sitting back waiting for a moment to happen like this conversation and your adoption of Bitcoin and mine and everybody else's and everyone's learning about the network and everybody using fiat less and siphoning their savings into Bitcoin and using Bitcoin more and building relationships with other people doing the same. Like that's just how this, if you want to call it like a mycelial network is, is growing. And, totally. and at, at some point, you know, it'll hopefully displace, the, the existing one and it won't happen like in a big momentous occasion. You'll just every day we wake up and, and the network is stronger and bigger. Let, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so when we wake up 10 days from now, more so than today, when we wake up a hundred days from now, more so than 10 days. And, you know, you, we just wake up in, in a future that's different at a certain point, like we do with so many things, you know, it's not like we, when did, you know, the iPhone break through or when did like, you know, all these things, they just emerge and they become adopted based on how, how much value or utility we ascribe to them. And life just goes on. The flux of, of life goes on. And I think, you know, it could, it, obviously it could not be any other way. And I, I, I suspect that, well, yeah, let's put it that way. I don't think it could be any other way. And so I'm when I, when I think about like how fast adoption is happening, I, I can't help but think it's happening just precisely in the manner it should. And like you, I'm, I'm super excited that you just think about how much friction there is today on people joining a network of value exchange and transmission, and then the impediments to the, the flow of that value. I mean, you've got different currencies, you've got different financial institutions, you've got different regulatory bodies. You've got like all this stuff that just locks down that process of people wanting to express value to one another and then exchange the fruits of that value or the goods that they're, uh, they're ascribing that value to. And there's mm -hmm. so many impediments to that cost impediments and fuckery and unfairness and all that kind of stuff. Just imagine when all that is removed and it's like a pure, anyone can enter everyone gets to express value with the same degree of like fidelity, let's say everyone is treated the same and value can be expressed and flow perfectly freely. And at, at that point, the only impediment perhaps is, you know, the, the impediments of space and time for whatever the object of value being exchanged is right. Like, you know, shipping or providing the product or service or whatever, but the, the, the actual act of signaling value is like, done with perfect fidelity. I mean, that's another one where we can't even begin to appreciate what the positive outcomes of that are going to be. Totally. And it's pretty cool to 
be surrounded by people that see that constant growth of things. The thing that we think is going to change the world for the better, constantly getting better, always there and always having that hope where so much of the world sees, oh, this bad thing happened, this bad thing, oh, things are getting so much worse. And we see, we are focused on that thing that is always there, that is always getting better. We sit, we think like, okay, yeah, all these bad things are happening. The system does seem like it's about to break, but we see the next thing that's coming and we know it's growing. We know it's slowly coming. And going down to Miami for the, the conference this year, so I've got a number of Bitcoiner friends just in my life, but that was like the ultimate confirming experience. Like, <laughs> cool, you just dedicated two years of your life to learning about this thing. I, you know how you feel about it, all this stuff, but everyone around you, except for your few Bitcoiner friends, thinks you're crazy. Mm -hmm. But going down to Miami and just meeting people that I just randomly met off Twitter or just like at the conference and just always being able to, there's that baseline of hope. There's that baseline of like, you just got to make your own happen and then it'll work out and stability. And it just was like, so confirming of like, you're doing the right thing. You're in the right place. If this is the kind of person that is attracted to Bitcoin or become person becomes once they get into Bitcoin, because we all know that Bitcoin changes you to an insane degree. That's the place I want to be. This is worth putting so much more effort into and learning about. Um, so that was a really cool experience this year. I, I think that's very well said and certainly was my experience when I first went last year and again this year. And I know from having talked to a lot of people, it's their experience too. I mean, even I brought my dad this year and that's what his like experience was. We came home after the first day. Actually, I don't even think we'd gone to the conference yet. We were at the beefsteak, which was like a basically a big barbecue with a bunch of uh, Bitcoiners uh, a couple of days before. And that's what he said. I mean, it was like, and, and just like you said, I mean, he's been exposed to me for ages. Right. And I'm right. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a fairly rational person, but like I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little bit, you know, weird too, especially in like comparison to, you know, normie land, let's say, but he, he understood the economic and monetary case and he understands how fucked everything is, but he hadn't been exposed to the culture for lack of a better term. And when he went and met all these people, I mean, he, we came back that night and he was like, man, I just exactly what you just said. He's like, man, I can't believe how like hopeful and civil and humble and intelligent and uh, enthusiastic everybody is like, it's just, I've, I didn't think this was going on in the world today. And as you say, I mean, what better, you always want to make sure you're not like, you're not in an echo chamber, right? But to an extent, everything is an echo. I mean, is it an echo chamber if you're, you have a group of people that are aligning with the same values? I mean, maybe, maybe it's just a semantic difference, but point being is like, it's hard to think of a better one that one, you'd want to be part of and two, which affirms the conclusions that you've come to on your own when you're able to see them in action and so many other people and judge that they are good. Then yeah. you, you, then, like you said, you can go back and be like on the right track, keep, keep doing what you're doing pretty much. Totally. I, man, that's, I'm kind of extremely jealous right now. So I, my biggest goal is I would love to get my dad to and be into Bitcoin and understand this, but, uh, like I said, so so he's at a point where he's like, I don't really have to care. Doesn't care I'm enough, good. right, right, so right. 
I guess I, I'll, I'll get the family's Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was such a life highlight, uh, not to make you more jealous, but it was such a life highlight for me to bring him down and to like, I would watch the interactions that he would be having with, you know, a bunch of Bitcoiners that he had never met. And then he got to meet some of the people that he, he highly respects, like, you know, Jeff and Greg and Sailor and these people. And just to see his interactions with them and see the big smile on his face, I, like it was so fucking awesome for me. Oh, that's and, so cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully I'll get him and mom down to the conference next year, but we'll, we'll see. Um, anything else before we shut this thing down? Anything else you wanted to get off your chest or explore or discuss? Um, no, not really. It's been uh, great to great to meet you, John. Honestly, like I didn't know who you were at all until How dare you. Um, <laughs> I guess I saw you. I kind of recognized who you were. I guess maybe I'd seen you on a podcast or something, but um, I didn't really know who you were at all. I saw you on stage in Miami a couple times. I, I think I saw you on a couple different places, but the one I remember specifically is talking about um, hardware wallets. I think you've led a panel there. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember thinking like, I don't know this guy at all. I don't know what he's about, but I really liked your vibe. Um, I really liked your demeanor. And so I'm really happy that I got to, to chat with you and, and confirm that just seeing you on stage was a uh, the right judgment call on my part for that. <laughs> Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate that very much. And, uh, you know, I'll say the same back to you. It's been awesome to, to hang out and, and swap ideas and have this conversation. And, you know, next Bitcoin conference, if not sooner, you know, can't wait to meet you in the flesh. You know, if you see me or if I see you, we'll come up and say hi. And as is so often the case, you know, big hugs and then talk about Bitcoin. And, you know, that that's what makes uh, hanging with Bitcoin are so cool is like, as we've been saying, you when you when you seem to line up or align on on such fundamental principles and as a result of that your perspective on the world is so similar you're able to i mean it just facilitates better exchange of ideas and communication and and uh relationships through the maybe more authentic revealing of character or something like that and so it's been uh, that's definitely been the highlight for me of of doing this pod and, and going to conferences is just being able to meet so many other great people. So I appreciate you taking the time and, and having a chat today. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me send you some wine as well. Uh, <laughs> try it out. I'd love that. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big wine drinker, as I said at the beginning, but I'd, I'd certainly love to, to have a taste, see the bottle and, uh, you know, have other people in my life who are wine drinkers. They can provide you with feedback. Uh, awesome. on, on what they think. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thanks again. And uh, look forward to talking again in the future. Take care. Cheers, Sean. Have a good day. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh,